Hello everyone, welcome to Random Encounter 258 or 258. My name is John O'Logan and this is the very first show of 2023. Uh, we are, however, recording it in 2022, so I'm not like terrified that the year is over yet. I'm just getting terrified to the point where it's going to be New Year's very soon. Uh, scary thought for me. Um, anyway, so joining us for this episode is Caitlin. Hey guys, and I'm not terrified that it's 2023 at all. In fact, here's your first Chocobo bleep, John. Oh, f- 2022. The first Chocobo oh. bleep of 2023. Uh, Abe, do you have any uh, any thoughts that involve uh, me bleeping them out with Chocobos? Uh. I think that entire thing should just be a bleep. Yeah, that's what exactly. Actually, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> Um, okay, well, uh, yeah, did you both have good holidays? Because the, the holiday season is finally wrapped up. Um, and mine was really, really good uh, in a lot of ways. It was a pretty standard one. It was just spent with Amanda's family here in Toronto. Uh, same thing we do every year, really. And I, that's, I have no complaints about that. You know, spend the whole day with family and open presents and get a good haul of stuff. I got some really cool video game books uh, this year that I'm excited to dig into. So yeah, I had a good holiday. Uh, mine was good. It was quiet. Um, but sometimes I think those are the best holidays. Um, so it was just me and my mom hanging out all day, exchanging gifts, having dinner, watching movies, that kind of thing. That sounds really nice. Yeah, mine was also uh, relatively quiet. Uh, we didn't really go visit family or anything. And, um, you know, we just moved. So uh, <laughs> uh, we don't live close to any of our family anymore. But, you know, that's... That's okay. It was nice to have a quiet uh, Christmas. That can be a blessing, depending on what your family is like. <laughs> yeah, uh, a little bit. Um, but uh, we're going to see Tenacious D on New Year's Eve, so our holidays uh, just about to start, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. That is kind of awesome. Yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah. You, you live in a place where all of the cool acts go. Uh, I mean, cool is a relative term, of course, but... I think it's cool, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I was living in Vegas, I would be trying to get to see like Penn and Teller nonstop. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> every day. Uh, yeah, see those, uh, <laughs> the bu- billboards all the time. <laughs> well, another reason why uh, I think everyone enjoys the holidays, who is a video game fan, is they finally have a little bit of time off to actually play some of the games that they wish they could have played earlier in the year. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little bit of a video game wrap up of some of the games that uh, were at the end of 2022. So one November, one December. Um, and, uh, we're going to start with one that was released at the very beginning of December and that is chained echoes. Now, this is what I would consider it. This is a late addition to what I would consider to be a really excellent year for RPGs. Uh, chained echo is a retro style RPG that honestly, at least in my, as far as I've gotten, doesn't feel in any way like a throwback. Uh, now, Caitlin, you reviewed it for the site. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Chained Echoes? Yeah, so Chained Echoes, um, you'll notice when you, if you look at any pictures, it immediately sort of has that that feeling of a classic SNES RPG with its retro sort of 16-bit style graphics. Um, but one of the other things that you'll probably read or hear about it before you do anything else is you'll hear that it was made largely by one single person, Matthias Linda. Um, with the exception of some art, I believe that he uh, had some help with, and also the music, which is uh, he, done by the wonderful Eddie uh, Marianucro, who I'd never heard of before uh, playing this game. So I'm really glad that I got introduced to his work uh, through Chained Echoes. Everything is done by Linda, and it's kind of insane how good the game is and how well everything works, considering that it's a single person like this. There's more stuff here is more quality to it than you might find in other games that are developed by whole teams. So it's incredible. Yeah. The the scale of this game, I would argue is, well, just like you said, pretty much equal to the scale of any late era SNES RPG or early era PlayStation game. Yeah. And that was kind of the inspiration. The idea behind this is uh, Linda really wanted to, create sort of a love letter to classic uh, RPGs, uh, not just SNES RPGs, but you'll see uh, references to PS1 RPGs. Uh, there are even references to uh, Final Fantasy twelve. So you've got some, some PS2 love in there as well. Um, but it doesn't feel like it's just supposed to be like a copy of, you know, these characters and those plot de- devices and these graphics. It feels 
like its own game. It feels unique and it's, it, it feels uh, very interesting throughout, even though you'll often see characters or hear music that definitely feel like they're intended to sort of uh, tickle the nostalgia nerve and everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, like for instance, um, early on in the game, you get introduced to all of the different characters uh, one by one. And each character will get sort of their own little uh section of the introduction where you're you you learn a little bit about who they are and what they're doing and then eventually everybody comes together and teams up and that very that screams to me very final fantasy 9 style with how final fantasy 9 would frequently introduce one character and then jump to another character and then sometimes even after you sort of had the party come together they would split up for a time and you would follow different characters that mm-hmm. sort of ensemble feel to the cast is definitely here but none of these characters outside of you know maybe having a, a very basic archetype that uh, you've seen in other games feels like oh well this is just Sedane with a different colored tail, or that's just Garnet with a different name or something like that. They all still feel like, you know, unique characters and unique settings and things like that. And it's really amazing to have that sort of feel of, I can totally see what kind of RPGs Linda is referencing, what what were his favorites, because I can see the threads, but I don't feel like I'm just like, rehashing Final Fantasy IX or Xenogears or Chrono Trigger or anything like that. Yeah, none of this feels like a rehash. If anything, it, it evokes those games in many ways, Yeah, but it, it doesn't feel like a one-to-one copy. Um, seven years of development on this by one man. Whew. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I'm sure that he is over the moon that it's finally out and, uh, you know, that he, people can enjoy it. Um, and I certainly hope that, uh, he'll, uh, be thinking about maybe con- making more games. Cause he's the, the, the dude is talented. I was just going to say like, he's definitely, when you start playing this game, like I said, you, you may not believe that one person did all this, but, but it's pretty much it's, it's largely one person. Yeah. It's unbelievable. No, I'm just going to say, I start, like I said, I started playing this yesterday. Um, Thus far, I've only gotten to like the, the point where all of the characters have gotten together, and I gotta say, holy hell, I'm sold. It's just, it's just fantastic. Um, it's, it's so good. Um, it's so good, and it's not just. I mean, it really does hit me where I live in terms of. Well, let's just start talking about the the graphics of the game. Um, they're they're gorgeous, Beaut- like stunning pixel art. Some of the best pixel art I think I've seen in years. Yeah, uh, I was amazed by the amount of detail going in here like all the the little things um especially when you're out in like the fields outside of towns there's there's tall grass and there that that moves as you walk through it or blows occasionally in the wind there are lots of little cute pixel animals uh that either move across the screen or animate there's lots of ambient noise in every area that you know you hear the frogs or the birds or whatnot. And it just, it's amazing how dense some of these environments look and how beautiful they are. Just, you know, despite the, the retro feel like there's a bit, there's, there's, I feel like there's more sort of like uh, artistic design and, and beauty to some of these environments than games that, you know, are in 3d and, and trying to go more for that realism. Like, Mm. It's just very, very pretty to look at and to run through. Like there's a a town you can go to early on where they do a lot of farming and they have fields of like wheat and grain and whatnot. And as you might expect, you run through it and you will see it kind of like shimmer uh, as as <laughs> as as uh, as it does. And the wind will also blow across it, and you'll see a wave of that shimmer. And it's just like that is a super cool little touch that did not need to be there and. I, you know, I think we we wouldn't have looked twice if it wasn't like, it would just be, Oh, Hey, there's some, there's some grain, but to throw that in there, super cool touch. And again, it's, it's like, these are large areas They're they're multiple screens. So you have, you you know, you go from screen to screen uh, to make up an entire area. Most areas are basically a grid of nine 
blocks. So each each block of that grid is a different screen. But they're huge. There's lots to explore. There are hidden caves to find. Eventually, you get uh, your mechs. Yeah, they're called sky armors. Um, and you know, if you're thinking something like Xenogears, it's basically Xenogears. You can fly. Hmm. Eventually, you can fly around in mechs, and that will give you the ability to find even more hidden areas. And you get rewarded for that by finding treasure chests that have like better gear for you to to use. Or you can fill out this whole sort of, um, think the license board from Final Fantasy XII, but better, like not stupid and annoying to, to use. <laughs> that That's the reward board. And that basically is this little sort of, you know, uh, game board looking uh, menu you can go into where whenever you say beat a certain number of monsters or find a certain number of hidden caves or do this quest or that quest, uh, a tile gets checked off and you can then get a reward uh for completing that specific thing and then you can also put together chains that get you rewards um on top of those and those rewards are like for instance you might get a special item that you need to pray at these shrines that you'll find periodically that give you class emblems because yes there is a class system in this game so, like, I mean, the the number, sheer number of systems that are in this game, and all of them work well. Again, like I said, it's just like I, I was super giddy at various different points whenever a new system got introduced, and I was like, "Holy crap, this game has that! Oh my god, I want to play more." Yeah, and the nice thing about it is they are not overly complicated or ill-explained, or it's they're just they're there, and the systems work really, really well with the mm-hmm. overall gameplay. It just they seem to fit. Yeah. Um, something that I really like, we were talking about how, uh, the game, it, it doesn't like directly reference it and the visual, yes, the graphics are great. But one of the things I really do like about the visual design of the game is it doesn't look like a specific retro game. Like I, I actually, like I, I, for example, uh, let me see, um, uh, cosmic star heroin, for example, if you look at it, it, it's, it, it, it looks like Chrono Trigger. It's a, you know, beautiful, beautiful pixel art, but the, the graphics really evoke Chrono Trigger. Whereas this thing has like, well, let's talk about the battle system. The battle system takes place on the world map. Like you see enemies when you run into them and, you know, the, you fight them on the world map. It doesn't go to another battle screen, but it doesn't look like Chrono Trigger in any other way. It's just kind of referencing that. Yeah. So, um, for the most part, there aren't random encounters in this game. You will see enemies on the field and you can't avoid them although some encounters are are uh, in like dungeons are forced but most of them you know you we will see the enemy before you engage and then once you engage uh like Jono said you don't transition you're you're fighting on the world map but then you go into sort of a turn-based uh style of combat and at first you know you think okay turn-based that is fairly standard but Chain Echoes introduces uh, a system called the Overdrive meter. And that is this meter in the top left corner of the screen that starts in yellow. And then as you go to the right, turns green. And then eventually at the very far end is red. And every action that you or the enemies take moves that meter for, to the right. So you start in yellow and eventually get to green. And then if you go too far, you go to red. When you hit green, you get some benefits. You take less damage, you do more damage, and you your skills cost less uh, TP, tech points. So the goal is to stay in green without going into the red where you will start taking increased damage. Um, and the way you control the overdrive meter, there's several different ways you can, but the primary re- way you're supposed to control it is uh, there will be a random skill type um, every skills, uh, all skills have different types. So like physical attacks, magic attacks, utility, that kind of thing. Using a skill that matches that random type will lower the bar. We'll move it back to the left. Um, so you have the basic turn-based combat and it works the way you'd expect. You know, you, en- you and the enemies take turns. You have a Final Fantasy X style sort of uh, display that shows you, you know, who's taking the next turn and so on and so forth. So you can kind of plan. Yeah. And it looks very similar. You have like attack skills, item and defend. Those are your options. Yeah. And you have the standard kind of like you have physical attacks that can do single or AOE targeting. You have your standard array of elemental attacks. You have buffs, debuffs, you can steal items, poison enemies, blah, blah, blah. 
But on top of all that, you know, on top of keeping your characters alive, damaging enemies, blah, blah, blah. Now you have to balance the overdrive meter. And that sort of adds an element of strategy to a otherwise fairly standard turn-based combat system. Because now I have to think about, okay, the overdrive meter is getting pretty far to the right. I need to lower it before I go into the red. And I need to do a magic spell. Well, I better make sure that I use... uh, Len, my character, who's got a lot of magic attacks to lower it. Um, and, you know, the game gives you plenty of other ways to lower it. Uh, one character gets a, a skill that is basically designed just to lower it. You get items that you can use to lower the, the, the bar if you don't have a skill that matches what it's asking for. You also, every character has a uh, limit break, basically. It's called an ultra move. Um, that most of them are just super damaging attacks and a few of them are u- more utility based and using those lowers uh, the overdrive meter. And eventually when you get more than four uh, members in your active party, you can swap out party members. Um, so eventually you will get, well, a full party is eight, but you, you get more than eight people eventually uh, in your total party. Um, so you can, you will eventually find that essentially for every battle, you have eight players, eight characters that you can make use of. You can swap between different characters and that will also lower the overdrive meter for, uh, a little bit. So it's, like I said, it makes an, it adds an element of strategy. And I think once you get a full eight person crew, it really starts to sing. Uh, I think in the earlier part of the game, when you don't have as many characters and you don't have as many skill types because you're still learning skills, it can feel a little bit punishing because you, you sometimes you get to the point where you have to use a move that doesn't have a use, like Sienna is your thief, and so she comes by default with a steal sp- skill. Um, and the game is, you know, the game, there's, there's so many little, you know, uh, quality of life uh, things in this game. So for instance, you don't have to f- learn whether or not an enemy has something you can steal. The game tells you very clearly this enemy has something you can steal, this enemy doesn't. But you might find early on that you have to use, say, her steal skill, which is a utility skill, because otherwise you're going to go into the red and you don't have anybody else available at the moment who has a utility skill and you don't have any items that can trigger the utility skill to lower it. And that can occasionally feel a little punishing. Like it's almost like instead of doing what I want to do, I have to do this skill just to lower the overdrive bar. Um, But like I said, once you get more characters and once you get more skills, you start having more options. And the game does have a couple of uh, accessibility options that can adjust the difficulty of battles. And one of those options adjusts the the the, the size of the overdrive bar. Um, I eventually turned it down to, to the, the wide setting, which makes the green section the largest that it can possibly be. Um, but, you know, if you want an extra challenge, you can also make it narrow so that it's shorter. And you can also do things like increase or lower enemy aggressiveness and enemy stats. So you can sort of customize your difficulty experience as you see fit. Yeah, I think that the battle system is, uh, thus far for me anyway, uh, really strong. Like, I actually like this kind of, I guess, overdrive management uh where you really you do need to consider what you are doing and how close you are and keep an eye on that bar. Uh, another way that the, uh, I guess, the battle system differs a little bit from a lot of other uh, retro RPGs and certainly a lot of their inspirations is the way that your uh, party levels up. Um, whereas in other games, you'll get experience points and once you reach a certain, once you research and a certain amount of them, you level up. Um, and you get new, you get, might get new spells, and you get like stat boosts and things like that. That's not quite how it goes in this game. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting, and I I think my initial reaction to it, I didn't like it, but the more I played, the more I realized that it's really kind of brilliant. Um, so you don't get experience from battles; you get skill points from battles, and you can use skill points to level up your skills, which can make you more powerful in the sense of it makes your attacks hit harder or it makes your heals heal more. And in that sense, you can sort of like, you know, grind a little bit to improve yourself. But most of your improvement comes from getting these things called grimoire shards. 
they're only given to you basically when you beat a boss. Um, the game says that you can get them from completing quests, I think, in the tutorial, but I don't recall ever actually getting one that was just from a quest and not from a quest that involved fighting a boss. Um, and some of the reward board uh, rewards are also Grimoire Shards, so you can get a few outside of fighting. But because they're largely controlled by bosses, and because the bosses are largely controlled by your progression in the story, you can't really grind and out-level the enemies in the area of the story you're at. Your 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 Grimoire Shard level, uh, which is displayed in the main menu sort of like a party level, uh, is basically going to be controlled by where you are in the story. Now, the way that works in terms of like your stats and your skills is every Grimoire Shard gives every character a point that they can spend on uh, an active skill, that's a thing you can use in battle, a passive skill that you can set, or just an immediate stat boost. And as you spend these points, every once in a while, you'll also get a notification that, you know, this character also got like an extra HP point or an extra attack point, sort of functioning the way that, you know, in a traditional experience system, when you level up, you'll see the character gets, you know, a few random stat boosts or whatever. Um, but obviously it's not really random. It's, it's sort of like, you know, the game has an algorithm that says every X amount of levels this character is going to get these stats whenever you spend points. So that's how you get the sort of traditional leveling up experience, but it controls it so that you can't just power your way through an area to the point where you just completely trash all the enemies. It keeps the challenge level pretty uh, level throughout the game instead of you know, a giving the player the ability to lower it through grinding. Mm -hmm. um, so now the, the flip side of that is that you will run into regular enemies that still can kind of hand you your ass. And that's both good and bad. It's mostly good because I liked the idea that I couldn't just sleep through regular encounters. Um, but I mean, I can, I've certainly, I've seen people playing the game now commenting about it and that can be a little bit surprising if you're not expecting it um one of the things though that obviously i think maybe wouldn't be as quite as obvious to players and i'd say if you're having that kind of trouble really explore your environments go out of the way fully explore everything that you can because a lot of what you'll find is uh gear is going to really help you deal with enemies in new areas if you haven't beaten a boss and gotten a grimoire shard it lets you power yourself up a little bit there's so many chests out there that have new equipment um to the point where mostly i almost never found myself buying equipment from stores because i already either found the equipment in the field or i found better equipment in the field um so if you really explore you'll get better weapons and better gear and that will help the enemies not be as punishing as you're progressing through an area, you know, because usually you're going to progress through a, most of an area without a whole lot of boss fights or any boss fights. So you might go through an entire area and not really get a grimoire shard, uh, you know, through a boss fight for a while. So the key is really to seek out new equipment, uh, make sure you upgrade that equipment. There is, uh, there is equipment upgrading. You can, of course there's an, of course there's equipment upgrading system because yeah. that you know, he had time for that. Yeah. Not only is there equipment upgrading, but there's also equipment customization because you can collect crystals while you're out and about, and then you can upgrade those crystals and slot them into your weapons and armors for all sorts of bonus effects, like increasing your stats or giving your attacks a certain element to trigger enemy weaknesses. Um, and for the most part, that system works well. Um, it gets a little... The, the further in the game you get, the more of an annoyance it becomes because you have a ton of crystals to try and deal with. And uh, there are some uh, details with the system that uh, can be a little annoying. Um, I appreciated it overall, though. It was nice to have that sort of customization option. And again, I wasn't expecting it at all. I mean... Like I said earlier, all of these added systems that are the kind of thing that you would normally expect in, you know, a standard 
triple a rpg that has a 50 or 100 person team behind it all you know you you will find stuff like that throughout this game and i haven't even talked about mech combat because there's <sighs> mech combat and there's an airship that you get and a world map and a base building eventually you get an island and you you start a clan, and you can go around the world, skies of Arcadia style, and sorry, recruit I just, heard, people. I just in, in the back of my head, I just heard Zach enters the chat, just <laughs> really excited about us. We get in style, being able to build up your base and things like that. Yeah, it's 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 really cool. Yeah, like I said, so far I'm just enjoying the hell out of this. Uh, everything from the combat systems to the environments, some pretty damn good dungeon design. Like nothing feels. There's lots of hidden stuff in the environments, but nothing feels like unfairly hidden. As long as you poke around long enough, you're probably going to be able to find it. Um, now, what thus far, I'm really enjoying the story uh, and the characters are really interesting. But uh, in your review, and I've heard this elsewhere, one of the weaknesses of the game is the writing. Um, that's not necessarily saying the overall story or the character development or things. It's literally the, the dialogue and things like that. Uh, why didn't it land for you? Yeah, um, so the issues with the dialogue, I think, and this is just like, it's not that it's bad, it's that there's a fair amount of mistakes and awkward phrasings, and it's the kind of thing, uh, the, the kind of mistakes that you would make if English isn't your first language, Mm-hmm. Um, because honestly, they're the kind of mistakes that I made when I was studying a foreign language. It's, it's things that aren't always super clear unless, until you really like you're immersed and you're using the language a lot, like, um, word choices where you have two different words that technically mean the same thing, but context would determine which one you use and using the other one gets your meaning across, but just sounds weird to a native English speaker. The unwritten rules of language. Yeah. Like everything is, it's perfectly understandable. Like there's nothing, it's not, it's not like it's so bad that you can't understand what's being said. It's just, you know, it comes off occasionally or more than occasionally really uh, as being a little awkward. And it's like, it's a shame that they maybe couldn't get um, a native speaker to do a pass on this script uh, to, to clean up some of it so that it reads a little bit better. Just do a localization polish. Yeah. But again, this is a one-man team, and I believe uh, Linda is uh, German, I think, is what I've I read online. So, yes. so I'm assuming it's not his first language. Um, uh, although, you know, I, yeah, I've seen he, – he's, he's in interviews, so it's not like he's, you know – this is not like a, a, th- a third or fourth year student of a foreign language kind of thing, you know. Uh, it's just the little things. It's, it's, the, it's the nuances that you really get – once you've been using the language and you've you know been living using the language so yeah it's like you said it's a, in the review you say it's a little still it's a little stiff in yeah. places the dialogue is a little stiff but again one man team it's perfectly serviceable and i still really enjoyed the story despite those issues so you know like it's not i would not say to pass on this game just because of the of the 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 dialogue itself uh the story is great like um I, the 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 political sort of uh, war torn nature of this continent that you explore is really cool. I also wasn't really expecting that. I, I was I was thinking it was going to be more like you know maybe you know sort of typical ancient evil fantasy, and there are elements of that that come in later. But like, there's a lot that feels like you know sort of a tactics or a twelve. I don't know, twelve like evilies as kind of uh, political mm-hmm. machinations. Um, there's, you know, there's a interesting characters with hidden backgrounds that you learn over the course of the game. There's some interesting lore that you learn, uh, as you, as you progress through the game, uh, both through the main story. And if you do a little digging and you find these little lore books that sort of explain the larger world, um, so it's, it's got a lot of good stuff. Um, and it really, it hits all the notes that you would expect, but it was still enjoyable, uh, from start to finish, despite some of the, the writing issues. Yeah. And I mean, another nice thing about this game is that it does have a lot of, it, you know, it looks like a, it looks like a classic, but it has modern quality of life features like 
you can save anywhere. There is auto saving, so you're not going to lose your progress if you crash or something like that. If you die in a battle, you can restart that battle instantly. And in fact, it it does something which I love. Um, it it you can not only restart the battle instantly; it doesn't boot you straight back into the battle. It boots you into the, uh, the menu. into your menu screen, yeah. so you can actually like change your attack, change your uh, attacks, and maybe equip different things and things like this. So it, w- it won't just lock you into a never ending impossible to win battle because yeah because of the way the game scales there's always a way to win you just have to figure it out yeah yeah there's so many little like you said so many little uh modern conveniences like this is it's such a great experience because you can see the inspiration and the love letter to the classics but it doesn't also mean that you have to deal with the annoyances of classic RPGs. There's so many modern quality of life uh, improvements in there that make it a lot more enjoyable to enjoy the story and the gameplay. Well, the game has been getting quite a bit of buzz um, over the last few weeks, but I have noticed, you know, some people are, there are a lot of retro RPGs out there nowadays. It's kind of, you know, pixel art is, is a, is a big thing. So if there are, if there's anyone listening to this podcast, who's still a little bit on the fence about giving this game a try, what would you say to them, Caitlin? Oh, I mean, I would say uh, buy it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would say give it a try. Um, I would say it's $25 on Steam, and I, I think it's matched on Switch. Uh, it's also on Xbox Game Pass. If, uh, it's also, yes, that's true. If you, have, if you have Game Pass, you know, it's free for you. Um, but no, it's, 20, it's $25. It is less than half the cost of a typical new uh, AAA game coming out on current platforms these days. And it's honestly probably better in a lot of ways than a lot of those games that you could be spending more money on. So no, I'm playing it on PC. I think this game would be incredible on Switch, though. Or I guess a Steam Deck if you have one. It just seems like the kind of game which would be really nice to to carry it around. Really, it would really remind me of a lot of the good old days of RPGs on the uh, GBA. Oh, it is. It is very good on. I mean, I pretty much played all of it on my Steam Deck because it's it is the perfect kind of game to be playing on your Steam Deck. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I am. I mean, as soon as we finish, uh, as soon as we finish this podcast, I am going to be getting up and getting myself a nice cup of tea and i'm going to be sitting down and playing more of this game good um, yep so i can tell anyone out there my opinion it's right in line with caitlin's which is if you're a if you're an rpg fan who has a fondness for classic rpgs uh give this a shot because this is one of the this is one of the retro rpgs that doesn't just hit the mark it it, it really it really evokes how i was feeling when i was playing those those games on my snes or playstation so i would give it a try so i played the demo um uh so should i you know and i enjoy the battle system so should i expect that you know it, yeah i thought it was okay and the the story didn't exactly draw me in but uh, I expect that the game probably grows into itself a bit more as uh, as you get past the demo point yeah um you get acts i mean like it opens up a lot uh, after that demo point. Uh, you, there's still some more story between where the demo ends and and where it opens up. But once it opens up, you get you know your your first sort of like Xenoblade s kind of like I can go anywhere and I can fight big <laughs> monsters kind of thing. And you get access to more systems um, that uh, open up the combat system a little bit. Um, I mean, in the demo. Let's see. I guess the most that you have access to at any one point is four characters, and that's in the, the prologue, uh, yeah, because so. the demo ends right after the uh, the first stretch of the sewer. Um, so by the time you get to where, like, say, Jono is, which isn't that far after where the prologue ends, um, you have six characters, so you can start switching people out. You have more skills. You get the reward board. You can start exploring a big area uh you can find random uh little you, you you don't get side quests yet you'll get side quests there are side quests eventually uh they give you like a they have a whole little quest name and and title card and everything but you can find random people uh in the area that need you to do things and get rewards from that so it, it opens up a lot and the story starts to build up its intrigue a little bit um, yeah the political intrigue really starts to hit right after the sewer well maybe i'll uh, i'll check it out when i'm not uh, in the middle of uh, uh, some other long games <laughs> yeah well you're you're always in the middle of a long game because i'm always exactly. making you play them 
Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let, let's move on now from a game that looks like it could have been on the SNES to one that actually was. And funny enough, this is also a game that features mechs. And this is Front Mission First Remake. Uh, Abe, you reviewed this. This came out in November. Um, and it is, well, it's literally a remake of the original Front Mission for the SNES that came out in 1995. That's right. Um, actually, not the SNES, only the Super Famicom. The Super Famicom, yes, you're right. That's right. Um, yeah, because uh, uh, outside of Japan, we didn't get it until 2007 uh, on the On DS. the Nintendo DS, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Front Mission is, uh, you know, from what I kind of consider that golden age of Square uh, RPGs, you know, from the Super uh, SNES and the, uh, the, the PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2. Um, Squaresoft, yeah, yeah, I miss those days. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, very much from that time that uh, Chain Echoes is trying to evoke to a degree. Um, uh, except that uh, instead of uh, relying on the the past, uh, Forever Entertainment, who uh, developed and published uh, Front Mission First Remake, uh, decided to go a different direction and completely overhaul the graphics. Um, even though the, uh, the original game is pretty much still intact. Uh, but, uh, so the, in contrast to the Chained Echoes, uh, Front Mission is, is not particularly intuitive. It's, it's very much a game from 1995. Um, of its time. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, among the first, uh, strategy RPGs that, uh, Square did. Uh, I don't know if it, it might be the first one that was released of uh kind of their their high quality uh strategy rpg releases it uh came out the same year as tactics ogre in japan but uh actually a few months before um so this is you know a very early uh strategy rpg and uh they the uh the developers don't go easy on you uh to be honest uh you know they they tell you the basics you know, you're 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 playing on this. You know, your new grid. You know, tactics ogre grid type grid. If if you played uh, either that or Final Fantasy Tactics, you you know you know what I'm talking about. Though it did um, come up first. Yeah, uh, but uh, uh, Front Mission is actually a little bit similar to uh, a little bit more similar to uh, Fire Emblem, really. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, they. Uh, they give you the very bare basics on, on how to attack and uh, how to move and things like that. But uh, the game itself is it's uh, it's a little bit dense and uh, it's it's pretty complex. Um, you know, after your uh, kind of introductory tutorial type missions, you oh you just get thrown into a, <laughs> a pit of uh, these mech parts and. Uh, you're kind of just told, no, oh, figure it out. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, Front Mission also features mechs, uh, much like uh, Chain Echoes. These are called, uh, uh, here they're called Wanzers. Uh, uh, kind of evoking uh, World War II a little bit with uh, the German uh, Panzer tanks uh, with the name. Um, and the mechs are essentially, you know, uh, drawing from Mobile Suit Gundam and Evangelion, these giant walking battle suits. Uh, and even though we'd love to play with them, um, I, I feel like uh, writers actually use them as story devices to tell anti-war stories. Uh, we're, not, <laughs> we're not really supposed to get that, that excited, but they make great mm. toys too. So, Well, I was actually going to comment on that, the toy aspect, because I, the graphics of the original uh, Front Mission, you know, it's, it's, it's a gorgeous looking game for its time. It was 1995, so it was the height of Squaresoft's uh, graphic prowess on the SNES. Character designs and everything were gorgeous this uh foregoes that for a it gives it a complete uh polygonal uh overhaul and uh everything okay you mentioned this in the review and i'm just looking at some of these screenshots everything looks just a little bit uh plasticky they kind of look like toys that you get in a cereal box yeah um i actually thought the uh the um forever entertainment did a pretty spectacular job with the graphics um oh that wasn't a that wasn't a criticism of that was just like it just kind of has that look to it oh like right almost a little right. bit almost a little bit diorama-y in like the overhead there oh yeah the the maps definitely are like kind of the diorama um and if you play in the uh the classic mode it uh you know it look 
it's it's not exactly like the the original game, but um, it looks mm. a lot like so if if someone had developed this game originally for the PlayStation One, it, it looks a lot like that, <laughs> like you can imagine it would have looked. Um, yeah, but uh, actually, the plastic part of the robots was uh, it's it's kind of explained in the game a little bit um, as uh, you know it, it's referencing you know these mechs from um, like I said Gundam and uh, Evangelion. But, uh, you know, Front Mission is a war story. Uh, it's, it's about, you know, these two uh, warring coalitions in, uh, in the future at the end of this century. Um, and it's the, the OCU, which, you know, essentially is, vaguely is Japan, and the UCS, which is uh, less vaguely the United States. East versus West, classic story. Yeah, yeah. And they're fighting on this little... Uh, uh, island in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, um, but there, uh, there is the mention that you know, since this is a, an ongoing war that's been going on for decades, uh, that these mechs have been developed to be uh, really able to be cheaply produced, and uh, the parts are cheaply made so that they can be interchangeable. Uh, and there's a lot less uh, concern from the from you know, either of the the major coalitions about uh, pilot safety and, uh, you know, the, the mech's longevity, longevity in general. And mm-hmm. so uh, the plasticky part actually kind of makes sense because they are cheaply mass-produced, uh, you know, shit, like walking trash cans, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Um, the funny thing about this game for me is that uh, for the SNES, especially, there is all there. From what I understand, there's a lot of customization options. Like you mentioned, that the game really doesn't tell you anything, and there's a there are a lot of uh, mech customization uh, in this game uh, with different parts and things like that, right? Yeah, um, and you know, it's, it's it's part of the things that the, the game doesn't tell you. But you know, there's there's several different types of attacks and uh, several different types of guns and uh, you know missiles. Um, and a large part of learning how to play this game is uh, learning to uh, gain kind of intuition about uh, when certain things are most effective. Uh, and so, you know, you're kind of, you're building your, your mechs around, you know, whatever your specific strategy is going to be. Um, mm. uh, there's, there is customization and like... Um, yeah, you know, all the all the parts look. Uh, you know, they have a, a visual representation, which is pretty cool. So, I mean, your mechs are gonna uh, evolve and grow visually over time as they they grow uh, as you build them up more. Yeah, and the the com- the combat of the game is pretty traditional uh, grid based grid turn based combat kind of thing, right? Yeah, there's uh, there's a few more elements added though, um, because uh, each mech uh, or Wanzer. Uh, for each Wanzer, they have, uh, you know, their each of their parts has a separate uh, hit point total. There's, you know, the the body and each of the arms and the legs, and each of those has their own hit point total. Um, it's a bit tough at the beginning of the game because you can't control which part of the enemy's mechs that you're hitting. Um, but you know, the only way to actually destroy it is to destroy the body. Uh, so, you know, when you when you can't, you know, you can't choose to aim which uh, part to uh, fire your weapon at it. It does come off a bit random, and that's that has been the biggest the biggest criticism I've seen of this game so far uh, online, mostly. Yeah, why have different body parts if you can't target each one? Yeah, yeah. But um, there, like I said, there's there's a lot to you know. You kind of have to gain like a, a little bit of an intuition when you uh, for playing front mission, and uh, you know, at some point for me, it really clicked, and. So I was able to do pretty th- things pretty effectively and, and, and know how things were going to turn out. Um, and, I mean, I felt like a freaking genius when I figured it out. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and, you know, I, uh, I, I, you know, gamers want different things out of games. And, and you know, I, it, it, is, it can be nice when the game explains uh, how to do everything. But I also think there's, like, there's a rewarding aspect that we don't really have uh, as much anymore that um, the law started figuring it out figure it out yeah it's it's kind of it feels rewarding it feels like oh i'm i'm smarter than the game 
<laughs> and um, <laughs> you know, take there's, that game. Right, that's right. Uh, and uh, you know, there's there are some tough difficulty spikes, especially um, weirdly in like the first quarter of the game. Um, but after that, you know, you can pretty much, you know, we, uh, you can pretty much break the game as uh, as far as um, you know, as far as JRPGs usually go. Um, so you know, I I think it fits pretty firmly in uh, that uh, kind of squaring the. Ex- uh, that's kind of square golden age of the nineties. Now I, I remember reading about this. Um, it was, I forget if it was first impressions or if it was in a review or whatnot, but uh, I read that they didn't really bring much in, in the terms of, in the sense of quality of life improvements to the game. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean the, you know, the original 3ds game, it, it is pretty, uh, it is pretty obtuse in terms of quality of life stuff. Um, man, those the mechs move extremely slowly <laughs> if uh, when you're making move actions. Um, well, it was on the Super Nintendo. It wasn't on the Genesis. If it was on the Genesis, they would have had blast processing and those those mechs were going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sort of the Mega Drive and the Super Famicom. <laughs> they didn't have the 3D chip yet, I guess, or whatever it was. Um, uh, but uh, you know, one of the quality of life things that Forever Entertainment did was speed up the mechs. So. Uh, that's that is a that was a huge quality of life thing <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> we make uh, them faster, yeah. That would, yeah, be. yeah. They get and they get little jet boot an, boot animations, so like they justified why they're moving faster now. Okay, that's good to know. Also, very random aside because it's not explained anywhere in Chained Echoes. There is a speed up function in battles. The game never tells you this, but if you use the left trigger, if you're playing with controller. You can speed up battles up to two or three times faster. I am glad you mentioned that because <laughs> you didn't know, right? Because I had no <laughs> idea. Now I am. Excited. It doesn't tell you. So I mean, plus for having that, minus for not telling you. But the moral of the story is: every game should have fast speed up options. Every absolutely every game, and especially remakes and remasters. <laughs> Front Mission does actually have that. Um, you can good. Like, you know, um, there's like if you played Front or uh, Fire Emblem, you know if. When you go into a battle, or when two units fight each other, it, it cuts to this you know this little screen where they they attack each other and, and whatnot. Um, you can turn that off if you want to, uh, if you just want to speed through it a little bit a little more. Oh, so you can turn off cinematics. That's cool. And there was also you know a few quality of life things that uh, I'm told were uh, implemented as part of the a new patch that just came out. Um, yeah, one one particularly being that. Uh, when you, you know, when you move uh, your your mech, you would have to, you know, take another step to attack uh, if if there was an enemy there. Um, and they, the new patch apparently condenses that into one step, so uh, it feels a little more like Fire Emblem. <laughs> I mean, there are worse things than feeling a little bit more like Fire Emblem. That's right. Another thing that you mentioned in the review is the music, which is, I mean, again, it was it was. Squaresoft of the '90s, so it had a good soundtrack. But it seems like they they uh, kept that while still update, kept the feel of it while updating it. Uh, well, it's uh, I mean the soundtrack was by uh, Yoko Shimomura, who is, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, pretty legendary composer. Um, and there was oh, there was another person who their name escapes me. Um, Matsuda, uh, maybe. Um, but yeah, the other the other composer was a, li- a little bit more of a, a jazz composer. So you get this nice mix of. Um, of uh, orchestral battle battle tunes and then some this kind of like funky uh (laughs) jazzy type of music that you know like especially um the part where you're working on your mech in your workshop it sounds like something these people would probably probably listen to in the 2090s (laughs) yeah you mentioned there there's gonna there's a couple decades long war my first thought was oh good something else to look forward to (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) um but uh, the game also includes the original versions of the 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 music, the the MIDI versions, um, and I thought it was really interesting to listen to both. <laughs> um, the you know the modern version, it's it's definitely more hi-fi and and you know clearer and stuff. Though, but you know uh, the older versions, I felt were I don't know a bit meatier, like um, you know more bass heavy and. Uh, you know, it, it, it kind of <laughs> evoked different feelings. Um, so I, I, I think it's, uh, 
you know, I would recommend that people, you know, listen to both, uh, both the modern and the, the original soundtrack to, uh, to get a feel for which one you prefer better. I, you know, it's, it's not exactly like, um, how, uh, like for the Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters, it's not like you know a full a full orchestral overhaul from from the original okay. sounds, but it's more of a refining kind of uh, making it more high definition sort of, um, which I don't you know I, I found both versions to be pretty interesting though. So yeah, and uh, we have a few uh, we have a few reviews on the site of uh, the soundtracks. Um, whole big bunch of them actually uh many of them by patrick which is unsurprising (laughs) he's actually listed on a wikipedia page about the front mission music (laughs) patrick gann of rpg fan described the album as a good sampler for the full soundtrack dot 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 (laughs) he he wrote the review for the ds version as well back in 2007 so well i i can't fault him for that he uh he has a fondness for RPGs of this period, as many of us do, and obviously he is the most prolific music reviewer that I was about to say that we have, but I would or maybe ever, not just us. Like it's crazy the number of soundtracks that Patrick has reviewed over the years, um, and will continue to review in the future. Uh, but so, but I thought it was kind of it was pretty interesting to juxtapose uh, Chained Echoes and Front Mission because. Uh, you know, Chain Echoes is, is taking a retro approach. It's a new game that's taking a retro approach as to sort of, at least visually, as to how it's uh, it's presented. And then Front Mission is like a retro game that uh, got a modernization <laughs> uh, upgrade, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I, I do have the DS game uh, of Front Mission, and uh, I kind of I kind of prefer the older style graphics better. Um you know, uh, I think uh, certainly all of us here, and I think a lot of uh, maybe relatively older uh, RPG fans, we have you know very fond memories of the the '90s, and and you know, uh, looking at those older style graphics really brings that that time period back for me. Um, so I you know I I actually kind of enjoyed the uh, original graphics uh, a little bit better to a, to a degree, though. I mean, you know, that's not to take away from the work that uh, Forever Entertainment did, and like I can see, you know, to a degree why uh, they they'd want to update the graphics. Um, they're they're going to release uh, Front Mission two and three, and uh, you know, uh, I know at least Front Mission three was on the the PS one. Um, I'm not sure about Front Mission two actually, uh, but you know, that's at least you know the the, the poly- polygonal style and. Um, so I, you know, I can see why uh, they'd want kind of a more uniform look for for those uh, three games, but you know, I think the uh, I think the older style graphics give it a little bit more character. That's uh, you know that make it a little bit more unique from those other two games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Front Mission Two, incidentally, also did never got a Western release. Actually, it's never uh, had yeah, a Western right. release. Never, uh, not even yeah. a DS. It's it's it just has the Super Family, or it has a it just has the um, the PlayStation release. Yeah. So when the remake comes out, that'll be that'll be a new release for for us. Yeah. Yeah, which is pretty cool. So I mean, there's going to be a lot to look forward to, hopefully, for the future of this series. At least the the future of the past of this series. <laughs> right. I mean, hey, hopefully they'll go ahead and do four and five while they're at it. <laughs> Which would be great because because five also didn't come out here. So mm-hmm. the last entry in this series was uh, 2010. Oh wait, no, there was there was a spinoff left alive. Yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about left oh, alive, oh that, I don't yes. think anyone does. <laughs> let's not. Let's let's. Okay, the last the last one was 2010. Front Mission left, al- left alive yeah. exists. The end. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. So it's been it's been over a decade since the last uh, full entry of this series. So, and I mean, right now, strategy RPGs, tactical RPGs are uh, really, really popular with uh, some big releases coming that have just come out and more that are coming out next year. So who knows? We might, uh, we might see another entry in this. Yeah. Anyway. um, Well, I want to thank you both for coming by and talking about these two games, especially after uh, the holidays. I know that this is, this is the immediate week after the holidays, and that can be a fairly exhausting time. Um, before we go, I just wanted to add a fun discussion question and just ask you, hey, uh, 
did you pick anything up during the uh, Steam Winter Sale or uh, from any of the other storefronts uh, over the holiday break that you're looking forward to playing? Uh, I have not, although uh, I realize that there's a very good chance I'm going to get Harvestella before the sale ends because I really want to play Harvestella mm-hmm. on, on my deck. Uh, as I have heard reliable intel that it runs very well on the Steam Deck, um, which is probably way better than it runs on Switch, <laughs> where it runs at typical low, uh, less than ideal res and maybe thir- probably not even 30 FPS. Um, so yeah, if I if I get anything, it's probably going to be Harvestella. Cool. I was actually gifted a couple games uh, on Steam. Um, I uh, I received the rest of the To the Moon series. Uh, I've I've only played the first game. Oh, um, oh yeah, nice. but but yeah, that was obviously a, a great uh, emotional uh, uh, dramatic game uh, uh, adventure game. Was it was it from someone an RPG fan? It was actually Patrick Gann, since we're since oh, we're talking Pat? about him. <laughs> yeah, because I so. I got a couple of gifted games from Solosi. He gave me oh. Yakuza Zero. Uh, which, oh, there is a winner. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was that year. that was on my list. Like I've I already have it on PS4, but I was totally going to rebuy it uh, and and other game Yakuza games uh, to play on the deck because that game is awesome. And he also got me uh, Ease Oath in Felgana, which I. If not played, I haven't played any of the older, uh, you know, more retro style uh, Ease games. But honestly, I love Chain Echo so much. My most anticipated game for next year outside of Final Fantasy 16 is Sea of Stars. So mm. clearly, I think I'm kind of growing into a retro kind of lover. So I got to play that. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm uh excited to be able to get to cry some more with uh, these uh, games gonna force me to cry uh, with the, <laughs> the to the moon series yeah that's uh i hear that's a, a tearjerker of a game yeah. i got some gifts too uh, an incredibly incredibly kind person gifted me um chained echoes um do you mind if i say who it is caitlin uh i think you just did exactly <laughs> um yes and uh my brother-in-law got me a copy of psychonauts 2 um yeah and uh i I took advantage of some of the some of the steam sale uh things because there was there were a few games that i missed out uh last year that i really really wanted to play like tunic for example um uh pentiment has been on my list for a while the the one that i'm really excited about playing is the case of the golden idol um because it's very reminiscent of uh return of oberdin so i'm super excited about playing that um and yeah, I'm sorry that the game plays like crap on the Switch, Caitlin. Hey, what do you guys think? Do you what do you think the chances are that Nintendo is going to have the Switch 2 uh, announced at some point this year? I know this is a common question, but I'm just curious. What do you think the chances? Is it 50-50? Uh, announcement maybe. No way it would be coming out in 2023, I don't think. They don't really seem to be in a hurry to <laughs> to release a Switch Pro or, or whatever. Yeah. It's a shame, though, that they don't, because, like, I mean, the games run, uh, and, you know, I, you know, say what you will about uh, Xenoblade walk, 2, really. but Monolith Soft <laughs> did a really good job with Xenoblade 3, getting that game to look and run a lot better in handheld mode. But, yeah, like, I, I, I'm I, enjoying the Harvestella demo, but I, I immediately got that reaction of, oh, right, I'm in playing in handheld mode, and that means, like, it's maybe... 540p or something and it's Mm -hmm. maybe running in 30 fps but it could be dipping below because it seems kind of choppy so like yeah like i don't know Mm -hmm. i i i checked out the demo on switch because i don't think you can play the prologue demo on steam i didn't i don't remember seeing an option for that so i was like okay i'll play the demo on switch and then if i like it i'll buy it on steam and i like it so I'm buying it on Steam. Thank you, Nintendo. <laughs> Whenever there's a, an option to buy it on the Switch or the PC, it's it's always Steam. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I got Monster Hunter, the newest Monster Hunter, and it is on PC, and it's it's beautiful. <laughs> no slowdowns. I think the dream of the Switch Pro is dead. I think it's never. I think we're never getting a Switch oh, Pro. I, I think, I think we yeah. recently got rumors that haven't been substantiated by Nintendo, but the rumors are that they at one point were going to do a ps4 pro-esque upgrade but then that got canned in favor of just making a, a successor so that's where we that's where we are now and my money my money is still on it being called the super switch i think they would be fools <laughs> not i mean to. that'd be great yeah yeah 
I can't remember. I got in a conversation with someone where we were just like, that's, they should just follow all of them. And it went uh, Super Switch. And then the next one would be the Switch 64. <laughs> and then it would be maybe the, uh, the, the Switch, Switch Cube. Cube. <laughs> and then it, my favorite one was uh, Switch. Oh, no. <laughs> S-W-I-I-T-C-H. No. <laughs> the Switch. <laughs> Um, and then, and then, would the next one be the switch you? Switch you, sweet. And then it's just switch wish. And then they can do two snaps. Yes. <laughs> oh god. Super duper switch. We 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 should shut up because Nintendo will absolutely listen to this and take one of these names and say, "Hey, thanks for the good idea." How did they know? I, the reason I know it's going to be called the Switch, and the reason why I know it's going to be called the Switch is because Nintendo loves the snap thing, the finger snap yeah. thing. They adore it. Is, it. They love it. It is awesome. It's very yeah, catchy. It's very catchy, and I'll they love it that. so much. And I cannot imagine that they will let it go. They will not learn their lesson from the from the Wii U. They will name it something Switch, or the Switch something. And the cycle of mothers going to GameStop, knowing nothing about video games, trying to get their kid the new Switch system, and getting the old one will repeat. Which is why I think it'll be called the Super Switch. I think they're. I think they'll do it. I think they'll really lean into the nostalgia. Effect. Or maybe it'll be the new Switch. Because remember oh. the oh, new yeah, 3DS. Yeah, yeah, like the new 3DS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could release a real. They could release a really, really small version of the Switch, just called like the Switch Boy. The 2D Switch. I want a bigger screen, not a smaller screen. I also want a screen that can, I, or well, internals that can reliably do 720p at least in handheld mode. That's what I want. Yeah, it'd be nice if this system actually had some uh, some power behind it, but that's not how Nintendo rolls nowadays. No, I think it'll it's be. Not. I think it'll be an upgrade. I think it will be. It'll come out and you'll be like, "Wow, this is not great." But then they'll release like a new platformer for it, and people will be like, "Oh, this looks amazing," and that will be it because Nintendo is all about gameplay. And the the at this point, I think that the the performances started negatively impacting the gameplay, and at that point, I think Nintendo needs to upgrade their system. Um, but hey, you know, we'll have lots of conversations about this later in the year. I suspect that will be a topic of conversation around E3 season. I mean, they released this when they released the Switch. There was a very fast turnaround between announcement and release. So, I guess we'll find out in a few months. At least we'll f- we'll know for sure by the end of 2023 if the Switch will two will be released in 2023. Anyway. Um, so this is an episode of Random Encounter. We have lots more of them. Uh, we have the entire, the backlog of 2022, uh, some really good episodes in there. We're going to have lots more in 2023, but we are not the only podcast here at RPG Fan. We also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG Fan's music podcast. Uh, last week was our best music of 2022 episode. It was really, really good. Was, I heard some fantastic music, actually a Chained Echo piece. A Chained Echo piece. Appearance. So go yeah. listen to that if you want to taste, but then also you can listen on YouTube and Bandcamp. And do it! I didn't talk enough about it, but the score is really good. It's really awesome. Oh, it's an out-of-nowhere score. Like, the guy who wrote it is just like, where, where, where did this guy come from? Yeah. I need more, though, now. I, I need yeah. more. Yep. Um, and coming up next week is... Uh, Rhythm Encounters 100th episode, which I am not going to spoil. It's a very special episode. Um, we also have Retro Encounter, which just finished up Xeno Month with a ton of episodes posting on Xenosaga. Uh, and last week, uh, if you have if you missed it, was the companion piece to our Looking Ahead episode of Random. So this was Retro Looking Back at the year that was. And I'm on that one, actually. It was a lot of fun uh, talking about some of our favorite games from 2022 and some of the best experiences we had. Uh, so if you want to if you want to take a look back, that's a good place to do it. And coming up next week is going to be an interesting episode, which is going to be focusing on RPG fans guide to style. Uh, I'm going to leave you figuring that out. Um, speaking of style, we opened a store where you can buy T-shirts with our logo on it. So if you want if you want to be like the stylish RPG fan, you can visit www.rpgfan.com slash shop and take a look around. We have, like I said, t-shirts. We have, you know, all kinds of things. Mugs. I have, I drink from my RPG fan mug all the time. So give that a look. Um, if you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire us off a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. I would love to hear from you if you have any ideas for future episodes. In fact, I'm just going to uh, give a quick little shout out here. A uh, gentleman by the name of Jeremy Arthur messaged earlier this week and uh, requested to have Caitlin on to talk about Chained Echoes, uh, saying that Caitlin, it was a very well-written review and really, really wanted to hear your thoughts about it in your own voice. Aw, um, thank you. Yeah, and I got to fire off a message to him immediately being like, I'm talking to her about it right now. Um, 
so yeah, if you want to, if you want to get a little shout out on the show, yeah, fire me off a message. Um, if you'd like to send me an email directly, you can do so at jlogan@rpgfan.com. I'm still figuring out what what in the name of hell Mastodon is. Once I figure it out, I'll share my account on there. Um, but that is not exactly a priority for post Christmas week. Um, but once once it is a priority, I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to have a presence on an online forum that is not Twitter uh, because yeah garbage fire oh it's so yeah i'm on twitter but i'm not giving you my twitter handle because i don't want people to go to twitter with the way twitter is right now it's just not good so you can email me at caitlin a at rpgfan.com cool and abe where can we find you online uh i mean i'm still on the twitter uh but uh <laughs> i'll give you my uh, instagram instead it's uh at uh, abe kobolanski I don't want to shame anyone for being on Twitter. Twitter is an invaluable tool for many journalists and uh, game fans and lots of other things. It's just that I've, it, it's sort of being on Twitter for me. It's sort of become like the, the leading source of news about Twitter. If that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you don't want to get found on Twitter uh, these days. <laughs> you don't want people oh, to find you there. <laughs> oh God. Things turn around so fast. Well, I guess they turn around so fast when you're driving a Tesla. Um, hey, so if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends. Help us get the word out there. You can rate us on iTunes or your other podcast player of choice. Uh, again, Caitlin, Abe, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I really appreciate you taking some time in your, uh, your post-holiday uh, haze and uh, talking about these games. No, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, happy 2023. Yes, absolutely. And happy 2023 to everyone out there and whatever you're going to be playing this year. Have fun.